Hey, Jenny and Levi Lusco here, and we wanna welcome you to this Fresh Life Church message archive from the 2020 series, as we're taking time to get ready for this next new year by building faith and asking God to open the eyes of our heart. Throughout this series, we're asking every single person who's a part of and touched by the ministry of Fresh Life Church to consider what God would have you to give in a special year-end offering that we'll be receiving on December 8th. And all across the church, children and families, single people, married people, every kind of person is considering what this ministry means to us and how God's touched our lives through it right. and how we can be a part of expanding the footprint of it and uh, seeing it go into new places and spaces and reach more people. That's right. We're we're so excited for this time together and this this opportunity to get to really um, see what what God's put in us, what he has for us, but then what he wants to do yeah, through us. That's exactly right. And we're, we're just so excited. And that includes you. Whether you watch these messages online or you listen to the podcast, you can be a part of it. We right. love to send you a 2020 kit with everything you need to participate in and be a part of what God's doing. No matter where you live in the country, no matter where uh, you watch these messages, God could use you to help us reach more people. That's right. And in this gift, we have a little um, necklace. And really, it's just a, a symbol, a token of, um, of, of seeing the king. So basically, it's a little crown. And it's really cool. And I have one on here. He has one on. Yep. Um, but just a reminder of above all else, above everything, that we want to see the king, that we want to see Jesus lead us and use us for his glory. That's right. To get your own 2020 kit, including your beautiful crown necklace that you can wear over your heart as you pray about what God would have you to give in this series and this offering, doing so online, whether that's a gift of $5,000 or $500 or $5, whatever it would take you to use faith and sacrifice to give to be a part of this. This is something we'd love to send to you free of charge. You can get it two ways. Uh, you can either text the number 97,000, and you see it on the screen, and include the word giving kit, or send an email with your name and address to online at freshlife.church. And we'll send one of these your way that you can so that you can participate in what God's doing here at this church. Yes. Well, enjoy this message from God's Word. I am so thrilled to be a little part, a little slice of this church. So this week, and I'm I'm just part of Pastor Levi's preaching team. And so I'm stepping in this series 2020. I love the title. Of course, that's the new year we're on the edge of right now. Gosh, December 2020, vision. It's all about vision. So great stories. This is week number four, I think, about vision in the Bible. I want to take you to a Jesus story. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus in just a couple verses. So something unique, kind of strange about this idea of vision. And uh, while you're finding that, let me begin Fresh Life, all campuses, no matter where you are, uh, I, I want to begin with a deep theological question. Do you like when your food touches other food? Are, are you with me? Do you, do you like, you know, some people, they like when their food groups kind of all blend together, right? That the entree kind of kind of blends into a side dish, like, like uh, Mexican. But Mexican food, in my opinion, oh my gosh, I want my refried beans to kind of blend into my enchiladas. I want gu guacamole over everything. Uh, I'm from South Florida, Cuban food. Oh my gosh, you want to mix your black beans and your rice. You want to spill over into your roast pork. But other people, you don't like your food groups to touch. You want your entree to stay in its place, never touching your veggie or your starch. You kind of like lines of delineation, right? You don't like your food group. In fact, your favorite plate is that picnic plate. 
that styrofoam three compartment picnic plate you like that because like you know your baked beans stay in the baked bean spot never touch right your entree hopefully ribs or fried chicken and then that third compartment my theory is coleslaw was invented only for that third compartment because I'm not sure what the purpose is of coleslaw, but you like that. So I want to survey all the campuses. If you're someone and you prefer your food not to touch, not to touch, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand if you prefer, you're a, okay, non-touchers, I get that. On the other hand, if you're on the far other side of the food-touching continuum, if you like when your food kind of blends together, like Lisa, Lisa, Thanksgiving, all every, my wife, Every bite she takes, not just the food groups on the plate, but every, every bite, she commingles a little bit of white meat of turkey, a little sage dressing, a dollop, a dollop of mashed potatoes, and just a hint of gravy every single bite. Who likes that? Who likes your, your food? Oh, a lot of people. All right, here, here's kind of fun. Who has changed from one group to the other group during the course of your life? Who, as you've gotten older, maybe you started out a non-toucher and became a toucher. Anybody had a journey, food journey? All right, yeah, I, food journey for me. When I was a kid, I didn't want my foods to touch. Oh my gosh, if mom put a veggie on my plate, a veggie would contaminate everything else it possibly touched. But the older I get, I kind of love my food kind of blending together. Why am I telling you about this? There are some issues in the Bible, some issues in life, you can't separate them. You can't put them in a little compartment, they just kind of stay put, right? And so vision is one, but another is the financial part of life. The financial part of life kind of bleeds into everything else. Everything in life that you esteem and you value has a financial component, relationships, leisure activities, right? Why do you go to work? Well, your boss has a great personality. That's not why you go to work and grind 50 hours a week. One of the reasons is a paycheck. You want to resource the vision that God has given you. So finances bleeds into everything. So the Bible brings up the idea of the financial or generosity throughout the Word of God. And so uh, Fresh Life, you guys are praying about a, a 2020 offering this, this next week, and it's, it's a huge thing, and I hope you're taking that to heart. So I'd like to talk to you, if you'll allow it, about the idea, the biblical idea of generosity. Because I believe the Scripture teaches, as a God follower, someone redeemed by my king, I should practice habitual, even radical generosity. And so Jesus says this cool vision thing in Matthew chapter 6, but it's wrapped around a statement about, about, about generosity, how we're called as Jesus followers to be generous people. If you're here and not yet a, generous, a Jesus follower, you can just eavesdrop on this talk, but if you're like me and you have been saved, this is for you. So Matthew, and while you're finding that, if you've not found that already, Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, uh, let me tell you what I think is the second best generosity story I've ever heard outside the Bible. So this happened a number of years ago. Uh, a little girl named Ginger. Ginger would now be in her 60s. Uh, Ginger, when she was like 10, saw a bike that she saw in the store. She thought, man, I'd, I'd love to have that bike. So she went home and told mom and dad, I saw this bike. It's amazing. I don't have a bike. Would you guys possibly give me that bike? Where well, parents had limited means. They were in ministry. They were, they were pastors. And uh, it was a small church, a few hundred people. And they said, well, honey, we can't afford to buy you the bike. But dad had a brilliant idea. He said, honey, if you will save half the money for the bike, We'll match it. And so she took it to heart. You know, she was old enough that she got an allowance. She could do some extra chores. She, she could babysit a little bit. It took several months, but she saved the money for, for the bike, half the price. And so the big day came. They went to the store. They bought the bike. And dads, this is back in the day when we had to assemble the bikes. And so Ginger and dad were in the garage for two hours putting the bike together. She finally got a chance to ride her beautiful new bike. She was so excited about riding the bike. And, but in a very short time, maybe 15 minutes, she had to put the bike away uh, come inside because they had guests for dinner. It was another couple in ministry. They didn't know each other very well. And, 
They also had a child, a boy, same age as Ginger. He wasn't there. But uh, during the course of the dinner, they, they were missionaries in Latin America. The conversation got really candid. And Ginger's parents said, you know, how are things going? And the dad said, you know, we feel very called by God to be on our field. We're seeing a harvest already, but our son is struggling. He's not learned the language. He's been sick a lot. He has no friends. He's, he's so depressed. We're afraid if something doesn't change soon, we'll have to leave our mission prematurely. Ginger didn't say a word, but she listened carefully, evidently. She, she went to bed, said her prayers to her parents, and she came back downstairs, very unusual. Maybe an hour later, she said, Mom and Dad, I can't sleep. I, I feel like God is calling me to give my bike to that little missionary boy. Her parents handled this beautifully. They didn't try to talk her out of it. They helped her count the cost, if you will. They said, honey, that, that's, that's great. We always want to encourage you to listen to God, but you know if you give away your bike, we can't buy you another bike. If you give away your bike, we can't afford to do the matching thing right now. If you give away your bike, you, you just won't have a bike for a long period of time. So once you go back upstairs, you pray some more. If you feel the same way in the morning, we'll give the kid your bike. She came downstairs the next morning and said, Mom and Dad, I did what you asked. I, I prayed about it. I thought about it, and uh, I love my bike. Oh, my gosh, I love that bike. I, I want to ride that bike, but I feel like God is calling me to give my bike to that little boy. They packed up the bike, and they gave it to that kid. Wow. And someone's thinking, mean God. Really? Really? Come on, God. There wasn't some kid that had like six bikes that maybe that kid gave an extra bike. You had to take this bike and this little girl. Listen, God, as a God follower, will ask us to make some hard decisions sacrificial calls to give away things that we esteem and value. Ginger gave, she was generous with her bike. All right, that sets the stage for Matthew chapter 6. I love this. I've highlighted a word or two. If we get to a highlighted word, if you please read that out loud. But Jesus says, again, talking about the idea of vision, but it's wrapped around. It kind of bleeds in like, like you know, that Mexican meal. It bleeds into the idea of generosity. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy. Verse 19 and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Get ready and read this highlighted word. For where your treasure is, there your, there your heart. There your heart. I'll circle back around to that. Your heart will be also. Then verse 22 is a vision verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, okay, kind of confusing. What is Jesus saying here? I'm, I'm really not sure, but I think he's saying, you know, if you have light, if your eyes work, if you have God's vision, it affects your whole body. Clarity on God's vision affects every a single arena of your life. It's not just limited to the spiritual part of your life, but your relationships, your habits, your disciplines, your finances. Because he continues context. I'll drop down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Ready? You cannot, one more time, you cannot serve both God and money. And wow, I want to stop and highlight that because God seldom says you can't do something. I mean, he's the unlimited, all-powerful God. I can do all things through Christ. But here God says, guess what? Here you cannot. It doesn't say it's really hard. You have to be extraordinarily disciplined. I mean, you got to be smart, man. No, he says it's impossible to love or esteem or value both God and money. So you got to make a choice. Wow, this, this is so rich. So Jesus commands us, verse 20, to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. This idea of generosity as one of God's redeemed people, saved person. I should practice habitual 
what you might esteem as, as a, or evaluate as, as radical generosity, how do I do that and why should I do that? Why should I do that? And before I get into this, there's somebody right now, I'm not sure what campus you're at. Maybe you're at Butte or you're at Bozeman or you're, whether you're at, I don't, Salt Lake and your arms are folded. You're like, man, I don't like this message. Well, a couple things I want to share with you. Number one, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that pastors bring in to talk about money. I actually, uh, you know, I, I, I do travel some, and, and, and Levi, I do have that sermon, like traveling guys, do I have that sermon where, you know, I preach the sermon, they're going to cry here, laugh here, and get saved here. This is not that talk. I'm just trying to, to fit into the 2020 series about vision and knowing that you have this very important offering coming up, and this theme is throughout the Word of God, okay? So it's, it's a scriptural idea. You cannot avoid it. Uh, and then if you are resisting, I'm not judging you, but you're probably, you're probably wired like me. See, some people are naturally generous, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm wired financially uh, conservative. Uh, I would call myself frugal. My wife, Lisa, would just say, cheap, tomato, tomato, right? But my wife, by contrast, is naturally a generous person. She would give you anything you ask. She loves to meet needs. I'm just not wired that way at all. In fact, who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not bragging, but by God's grace, I'm naturally a generous person. Raise your hand if you you're, see some people in the rooms right now saying, yes, I'm not bragging, but I'm, I'm naturally a generous person. All right, I'm not one of you. This is a tough issue for people like us. If right now you're resisting and, and you are a Christian person, my guess is this is just your hang-up. And I'm not judging you because everybody has a hang-up. Everybody has a hang-up, right? So someone right now who's a naturally generous person, maybe you battle with uh, anger or forgiveness or lust. We all have a hang-up, right? Right? Amen? Don't leave me hanging. Raise your hand at every campus if you have at least, at least one hang-up. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If your hand is not up, lying in church is your hang-up. So if you're conservative, this is a tough issue for you, and I would just encourage you to unfold your arms, let God speak to your heart. Again, like, like Ginger, God will call you to make some serious decisions, some sacrifices. You can trust God. I'm just going to share some promises of Scripture and the question, why? Why should I do this? Because this is not the norm. Most people are not habitually generous, right? Why should I do this? I'm going to give you three or four reasons really quickly why you should practice biblical generosity. I would say, number one, obedience. Obedience. It's 101 Christianity. I should be a generous person. Old Testament, New Testament, I'm commanded in Scripture to practice generosity, whether I'm wired that way or not. Let me show you a couple examples. Again, in verse 20, Jesus says, store up for yourself an imperative, treasures in heaven, but how about some clearer places? We'll jump through the Word of God a little bit. How about um, we'll go, how about the start of, uh, well, the last book in your Old Testament, uh, the Italian prophet Malachi. Turn to Malachi, if you would. Mal okay, it's not Italian, it's Malachi. Malachi, I think is how you say it. Malachi 3.10 starts this way. Now, I've highlighted the first word. Can I have the verse on the screen? When I say three, all campuses, let's loudly, come on, Salt Lake, let's loudly read the first word. Ready? One, two, three. Now, you're going to see the speaker here is God himself. And God says, bring the whole tithe. I'll leave it up for just a moment. What is a tithe? A tithe is the first 10% of everything God entrusts to me. Now, someone just refolded their arms right there. 10%? Are you getting 10%? 10% is so... Just, just relax, relax. Why 10%? Great question. Don't know. See, what I do know in the Bible, though, 100% actually belongs to God. It says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is Lord's in everything and everything and everything. And when I say three, shout the word everything. One, two, three, everything. And I know this world fools us because my name is on the title or my name is on the deed, but it's really not mine. It all belongs, 100% belongs to God. 
And to show God, I get that, I understand that, I'm managing God's stuff, I bring the first 10% to the house of God as, as a tithe. So notice the language, though, God says, bring. You go, okay, that's kind of rude. What, bring, really? Bring? Shouldn't God say, would you please donate? Would you be so kind and charitable as to? You know what God says, bring, is because it's his. The same way if you, know, if, if, if you loan me your car and you needed your car, you wouldn't call me and say, Dave, would you please donate my car to me? No, you, you say, would you please bring me my car? And so God commands us, obedience 101, right? Obedience to bring the tithe. How about this? Again, I believe the entire counsel of God's word is binding. I'm old school. I believe the inerrancy of scripture. I mean, I mean God never stutters. Inerrancy means, you know, if God says it, you can bank on it, that it's 100% right. So uh, I know Fresh Life, that's the heart of your pastor and your church. You guys believe and bank literally on the word of God. How about Luke chapter 5? I love this. Luke chapter 5. Now, the speaker here is Jesus. So it's already in the inspired word of God, but now ratchet up the credibility as high as it can possibly go. So the speaker is King Jesus, and it starts out with an imperative. So give me Luke chapter 6, verse 38 on the screen. Ready right now. Again, I'll say three. You read the first word. Ready? Here we go. Jesus is speaker. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. How about louder? One, two, three. Yes. Now, if you're like me, and you're a saved person, this could be a one-word verse. Right? My king has spoken. David, give. Give. It could be a one-word verse. So just, just, just give. My king has commanded. It's, it's clear. I'm, I'm required. Obedience. Ginger was prompted by God, and she gave. She gave. So as an act of faith, obedience, I, I, I want to give when the king says to give. I'll read the rest of this if time allows before we're done today. I, I need to give. But the great thing, so I think the first reason is obedience, but it's like, it's like those foods that blend together. Like my wife's fork at Thanksgiving, there's other reasons it bleeds into. Here's a second one, blessing, blessing. Oh, man, I love studying the idea of blessing in the Bible. It's pervasive in the Scripture. What is a blessing? It's the tangible and intangible favor of God upon your life. It's God getting all up in your stuff in beautiful and wonderful ways, right? And you'll see our God is very, very generous. Is it a financial thing? Sometimes we don't limit God. Our God is so creative. We don't have like a one-dimensional, immature view of blessing. In fact, I think the best blessings in God, of heaven, heaven you, you can't put a price tag on. And so God wants to bless us. And the reason I want to study the idea and practice the idea of habitual generosity is the faith action step in many verses. Some of the best, most powerful promises in the Bible is if I will release resources, if I will give, if I will bring the tithe, after that faith action step, God promises to bless me. Let me show you a couple. I'll back up to Malachi again, Malachi chapter 3. And I love what it says here. Here's the entire verse now. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So this is just practical. Without resourcing, the house of God cannot provide meaningful ministry. It takes resources. For this church to happen, people have to financially believe and support what God is doing through Fresh Life. So that's a practical idea, but that's not the main part of the verse. And then it says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. God speaking in the first person. He says, test me in this. This is some of the best trash talking in all the Bible right here. This is God talking smack. Try me, he says. Test me in this. Have I highlighted a word? No, I didn't highlight a word. doesn't matter. Okay, okay. It's a test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I would not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room 
enough to store. Doesn't crack the windows yet. Open the floodgates and pour out blessing. This is, this is not Malachi making the promise or the priest making the promise. This is God. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, it's impossible for our God to lie. Okay, how about the whole Jesus verse? Jesus again, Luke, Luke chapter 6, let me complete that verse. Because again, it begins with my faith action step. The catalyst for all this happening is it says, I got to give. So Jesus, my king, it could be a one-word verse. He commands me, give. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Okay, we stop right there. Okay, it seems fair. I guess this is a proportional response. If I give, I don't know, a 1,000, God will resource my life with a 1,000, or if I give a 100, God, I, that's not what it's saying. We'll keep unpacking this. Give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You see, what's going on here is God is more generous than I am. In fact, I'm not sure who the most generous person is at Fresh Life with all the many campuses. I'm not sure who it is, but the most generous person, God is way more generous than you, and he's way more richly resourced. Now, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That makes sense. If you're in Wyoming or Montana, I'm in Miami. They have no idea what that means. I have to break it down. God owns the, uh, the Escalades on a thousand lots. But God has more resources and God is more generous. If I will just do what the Bible commands me to do, God says, here's my response. It's not proportional. It's highly disproportional. It says, give and it'll be given to you. Look at the lavish language. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured into your lap. Hey, tech team, tech team, leave that up for a moment. Leave that up because that is a phenomenal promise. And that is made by Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. It's impossible for God to lie. So here's my question. Why don't we do this? Why would you not believe what the king has said, I will do if you'll just trust me and give? In the original language, by the way, it's a habitual giving. It's something called a linear tense verb, whatever that means. It means give and get in the habit because, yes, God does bless individual actions, but God really blesses habits and disciplines. So if I will give, God promises to bless me in this lavish way. And the reason we don't believe this is because nobody does this. In our world, people make these crazy promises, what they want to do, and they always underdeliver every time. Right? Just, just be real, right? All advertisers... They, they promise this and deliver this, and our warranty expires like two weeks before the engine goes out. And you go to the restaurant, and the gift certificate expired. Well, my money didn't expire a year ago, and everybody promises this, and they deliver this. So we, we're jaded. We're, we're skeptical. We're, we're suspicious, right? Even here's the king, the way, the truth, and the life. We're like, man, nobody does this. But what an incredible promise he makes. In fact, here's one reason we don't believe it. Just everywhere, everywhere. It's not just like con artists. It's just always people promise this and deliver this. So we can't even believe Jesus when he says, give, and if she's given to you, press down, shaken, running over, spilling into your lap. Uh, how about this? Here's an example of how, how we're all the time, man, overpromise, underdeliver. Uh, you go to Safeway or Kroger, and you want to buy breakfast for your family. You want to go healthy. Like, I, I'm a healthy eater, so I want to feed my kids still-cut still oats. They want to eat that. They want Captain Crunch tricks so maybe we compromise cornflakes cornflakes what is what is better than authentic good old school you know been around for decades cornflakes i mean you can trust the cornflake people right and so i buy the family size cornflakes i i buy like look at all the cornflakes in this massive box to feed my family now some of the ladies are laughing already because 
Because when you go home, though the back the box is like this, when, when you open it up, as you can see, nothing's been you know tampered with here. This is packaging, original. shot on this. Riley can you help me out. The cornflakes don't start. Can you see that? <laughs> so way down there. Way down there. Look, wait, I mean the, the cornflakes, you know, this is what I'm promised and the cornflakes start. I got cornflakes finally. And that's the trustworthy cornflake people. And listen, so a lot of us, when God, put that verse back up, guys, for a moment. Put that verse back. When God promises, I will do this for you, give, and it will be given to you. Jesus, the speaker, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. He is not making a cornflake promise. What he's promised, look at the language in this verse. It is so sensational. It is so lavish. What Jesus has promised is this. If you give, what will I do? Give, and it will be given to you, right? It doesn't say proportional. It says given how? Give, and it will be given to you. What's it say? A good measure. Then it says what? What's it say? Say, pressed, come on loudly, pressed down. Oh, if I press down, I got room for more cornflakes. Pressed down, what's next? Shaken together, more cornflake room. Spilling out into your lap. I'm just doing Sorry to all the production team, by the way. The tech team, I will get a broom afterwards and help clean up the mess. By the way, if I want water, I'm out of luck. But all I'm, all I'm doing is demonstrating physically what the Bible says. And the promise is made by the ultimate promise maker, Jesus. And the faith actions at the catalyst to get the whole thing going in my life is, is to give. And he will bless Pressed down, shaking together, spilling out, running over my lap. Well, Dave, what's the blessing going to look like? When's it going to come? I, I don't know. I don't know. But the action step is to tithe. It's to give. Well, I, I tried it before, Pastor. I tried tithing. It didn't work. How long did you try it? Two weeks. Two weeks. And it, it, didn't, it didn't work. Well, I found typically the tithe is tested. I found a lot of people step out and they start tithing. And maybe things get bad or worse before they get better. Just hang in there. You can trust that Jesus will always, always keep his promises. Give blessing. So what's, what's the, what's the, <laughs> I'm so sorry. What's, what's the best, best reason, best reason to give? Is, is it obedience? Is it blessing? Uh, give this back to you guys over here. Um, no, I don't think it's either one. I think maybe the best reason to be a generous person, even if you're like me and not wired to be naturally generous, the best reason is love. Is love. Let me break that down. Remember, Jesus talked about your hearts and your treasure and your heart being inextricably linked together. And I just found this. All the grown-ups in every campus, you're going to understand this. No matter where you are, have you found in life that everything and everyone you love costs you money? Come on. Have you found everyone that you love costs you money? Money. I, I have a picture right now of my family. My family cannot be here. My kids cannot be here, and they wish they were here. They love Levi and Jenny and the, and the kids so much. That, that's my family right there. That's my son, Charlie. He's, 
He's 19, actually feels called to ministry. He's actually a good communicator, good preacher. That's, that's Victoria on that side. She is so smart. She's 18. What a great kid. That's a associate pastor, Zane Michael. He's 10 in the middle. He's a great little boy. They're, they're really good kids. They're cute. They're awesome. I'm so proud of them. And they cost me so much money. I'm telling you, I got two kids in private college at the same time. Pray for me. And it's not just tuition. It's not just room and board. It's Starbucks and Chick-fil-A and all that extra stuff. The little guy, he is growing. He's a growth spurt. He grows in and out of clothes like every 15 minutes. They cost me so much money. They insist on eating three times a day. They are so expensive. They cost me so much money, but I have lots of parents in every campus watching online. Parents, you've never one time thought, my kids are so pricey, I'm on an eBay kid. Never once, right? You just keep paying the bills, writing the checks. Why? Because you love them. Everything, everyone you love costs you money. It's not just your family. It's um, everything. Who has a hobby? Raise your hand if you have a hobby. Raise your hand if you have a hobby. Okay, someone doesn't have their hand up. Get a hobby. You'll have less stress if you have a hobby. Your hobby, if you're passionate for it, costs you money. No matter what it is, right? You like to bowl. You like to golf. You do Fortnite. I love to fish. I'm a passionate fly fisherman. I actually got your pastor to go fishing with me recently. Phenomenal. Yes, it was awesome. Uh, man sport. I spend way too much money on my fishing. My wife's in the room. I tell you how much. But anything you love costs you money. So hobbies, family, um, pets. Do I have any pet people? If there's a pet person in the room right now, Raise your hand, raise your hand, pet people. Oh, I got pet people in the room, pet people. How about dog people? Any dog people, any dog people? Oh, no, no, dog people, I will not let you go just raising your hands. If you're truly a dog person, when I say three, I want you to bark. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> That's dog people. Dog people do stuff like that. Uh, any, any cat people, any cat people in the room, any cat people? Really? Why? Why cats? I don't understand. No, I'm just kidding. Cats are fine. Cats are in the Bible. Judas had a cat. Anyways, moving through. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm getting cat people. Anyways, uh, uh, anybody, anybody with, a, with a weird pet? Anybody with an exotic pet? You got, I don't know, just some kind of iguana, python. Uh, way back in the day, okay, maybe a few people like weird pets. Just own the weird pet. Um, uh, we had a beautiful eclectus parrot back in the day, man. Her name is Ruby. I think I got a picture of Ruby. Do you have a picture? There's Ru we loved Ruby. So this is back when the big kids were little kids and Ruby was a family pet and she was beautiful and she, you know, playful. I guess birds are playful. Anyways, um, one night, and we do a lot of services at Church by the Glades. So this is back when time we were doing seven weekend services. And we did two on Saturday night. And, and for preachers, it always happens on the weekend. So I wrapped up the two services. I came home. I had this slate of five the next day. And we get home and Ruby's not up on her perch. Ruby's like rolling around on the floor of the cage, and, and she's writhing, and she's throwing up. I didn't know birds could barf. And uh, anyway, so we, we Google the symptoms, and sure enough, she's a very sick bird. And we have a vet nearby, takes exotics, and uh, I was going to take the, the bird, but Lisa, my wife, said, honey, it's the weekend, it's close by, it's safe, I'll take Ruby. So we put little Ruby in the travel cage. Now, here's all this family drama, because the bird is sick, she's a family pet, the kids are crying. Daddy, is Ruby going to die? Is Ruby going to die? And Lisa's upset. Oh, the poor bird. I'm feeling bad. We love the bird. All this drama, and Lisa's being the hero, walking out the front door of the house, taking the bird to the vet, all these tears and stuff. In the midst of all this going on, Lisa asked me what I think is a very inappropriate question. My wife whispers to me with all my kids are crying right here. Says, honey, how much? Now, the smart people who have pets, 
recognize what that question's about. Vet bills. Vet bills can be extreme. I had friends of ours spend $20,000 on their golden doodle, right? We got a dog right now. If it's $20,000, the Bible says all dogs do go to heaven. So be bye-bye. Right? No, I'm just, I'm just 20. So Lisa asked me how much. I was shocked, Lisa, you would ask that question. I, I cannot believe our kids are crying. It's the family pet. I was, I was offended you asked that question. I would, in fact, I was more shocked. I had, I had a number. I had a number. I thought, oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> Bet bills. Um, yeah, okay, okay. So we whispered. She whispered her number. And I had my number. We kind of met in the middle somewhere. And the good news was the vet bill was under that threshold or it would have been bye-bye birdie. But anyways, so listen, why tell you that weird story? Okay, we, we, we loved the bird. We loved Ruby. But because we had a number, it was a limited love. Let me tweak the story. Imagine it wasn't uh, the bird going out the front door sick. It was one of my three kids on a gurney, deathly ill, you know, one of my two sons or my daughter. And the EMT said, uh, Mr. Hughes, how much? <laughs> Parents, you don't have a number, do you? You're like, how much? This is my kid, all of it. Here's my debit card, right? Uh, I'll take a second, third mortgage on the house. You can have the house. You can have the car. I'll, I'll, I'll sell online everything I have. I'll live under a bridge. That is my child. I love my child. How much? Whatever it takes. You see, you love your kids with unlimited love so you don't have a number. So coming back to people like me who kind of tense up and pucker up when someone talks about generosity. And by the way, the pastor should. It's a major theme in the Bible. Uh, 11 of 39 of the parables of Jesus are about money. About one every six verses he utters is about the financial. So I would say based on that, your pastor underserves this issue. He's taking it too easy on you. And this is a heart issue. You see, it, if it, it's not about generosity and money. It's about your heart. And if you're here at one of the campuses saying, hey, I love fresh life, or I love Jesus, and you're not giving it all, Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, it's, it's a heart issue. The best reason to give is love. It's love. So um, little Ginger felt like God was calling her to give her bike to a missionary kid she'd never met. And so her parents, they were brilliant. Her parents did not try to talk her out of it. So many times a kid or a young believer is moved by God to be very, very generous, and some more mature Christian comes and tries to talk him down from it. And they just helped her understand this was a significant sacrifice she was making. And they had her pray about it some more when she came down the next day and said, hey, mom, dad, I think, I think I need to give my bike to this kid I've never met. They said, honey, we'll pack it up and we'll do that. And they were so proud of her. But here's how good God is. And these promises about God's willing to bless us, the news got out. Someone got word of this in a small little town. The story went in the paper. The richest guy in town owned a bicycle store. He rolled up to her house with this beautiful new bike. No, that didn't happen at all. That didn't happen at all. I just made that up. Because that would have been great, right? It would be great the story ended like that. All that happened was this. Ginger gave away her bike, and for that summer, she had no bike. And uh, her friends had bikes, and they rode their bikes, and uh, she didn't have a bike, and they had bikes. But guess what? She was fine. Kids are resilient. She'd need therapy someday, right? And, and, and the next summer, she didn't have a bike. About three summers later, they saved enough money. She bought a used bike, and, but she was just fine. Her parents handled the situation so well. And after a couple years, she could care less about a bike because she was 16, and she wanted to borrow the family car. Then the story goes, she turned 18, she graduated, she felt called to go into ministry like her folks. 
She went to a small Christian university. There she met a guy named Steve, Steve Lingo. Steve also was from a ministry family. They got along really well. They started to date. They fell in love. You know the story. Uh, They ended up getting married, been together for decades. They're in ministry right now. But somewhere in the late dating courtship, just before they got engaged, they're swapping stories. And uh, Steve says, you know, my parents were in ministry like your parents, but my parents were missionaries. We were in Latin America, and it was my first year down there. And and Ginger, I I was so mad at God. I'd been sick, hadn't learned the language had no friends. I thought, God, why did you take me from America and my home and put me in this place? I thought God was so mean. And then, Ginger, the craziest thing happened. This kid in America I never met sent me her bike. Who but God? Who but God? Who but God could take her generosity and use that generosity to build courage in the man that someday would grow into her husband? When God says give, and it will be given to you, when my king says, when my Jesus says give, and not just proportional, disproportional, pressed down, shaken, running over, spilling into your lap, I think you can trust the king. So Fresh Life, this is for you naturally generous people, doggone it, you're awesome, that's phenomenal. For people like me who struggle with this, God brought you to this room today, to this campus, you're watching online, don't turn off, don't unplug, listen, this is your moment. Because God calls us to make what seems to be sacrificial decisions, but the God of heaven will be no man's debtor. I want to encourage you to have faith. Because giving, it's, it, it is about obedience, it's such a for blessing, but it's about love. And everything or everyone you love, you resource. And the kingdom of God should be the same. So I want to call you to a moment of decision. And I know the big offering is next week, but I want God to prepare your heart right now. So at every single campus, I want everyone to close their eyes, bow their head. And this is your moment with God. I know he ambushed you. I know God got all up in your stuff. He brought me all the way from Miami to this campus in Montana, and you're watching in Utah, or you're watching online. This is exactly the word. God invaded your reality with the chance to make a brilliant decision. So if you're there right now and you've never practiced generosity, I want you to think about in this moment of worship, a moment of prayer, I want to invite God to be very present in this moment, that you would take and you would make a faith action step. You say, God, I'm going to begin to give. In fact, I'm going to start to tithe. I'm going to start to tithe. And so next week as we bring this offering, my first offering is going to be my first time to honor God with the first 10%. I'm going to choose to tithe. Or maybe someone as you're contemplating your gift, your gift you're already a tither, but you're thinking through your gift. I mean, God's going to stretch you. I mean, what, what is your bike? What, what, is, what is that thing that you, you are cherishing, you're holding on to, that God said, will you trust me that thing? You need to add a zero to that number. You need to stretch yourself. This is not about your finances. This is about your faith. And God's going to use this to grow you in an amazing way. So if if next week you're going to give God whatever, whatever, whatever he asks you, or you're going to begin to tithe at all of our campuses, but I just described you in a spirit of worship and prayer and surrender, I want you just to say as we pray, Father God, yes, I'm going to bring the tithe. I'm going to bring the offering. And you can just slip your hand up right now. No one looking, but just as a commitment to God, saying, Jesus, this scares me. But I think you always, 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 always keep your word. And my king commanded me to give. It could be a one-word verse. But if I give, it'll be given to me. A good measure, pressed down, shaken, stirred, spilling over. I'm going to begin to do this, God, with courage. And I will, keep, I will give habitually. I'm going to set up that, that reoccurring gift online. And I'm going to set it and forget it and trust you to meet my needs.
You can put your hands down. Remain in the spirit of prayer. There's someone here right now. Maybe, wow, speaking of Jesus and his promises, you don't know my king is your savior. You've never given your heart to Christ. Forget, forget your money. Oh, he's way more ambitious than that. He wants all of you. And this can be your brilliant moment. I know it's not Levi teaching, but this is not between you and Levi. This is between you and the king. If you've never given your heart to Christ, what a brilliant moment to make that decision right now. And I love when the Holy Spirit takes and interprets what I say, and I'm talking about stewardship and giving, and he takes a whole new track and communicates to someone a, a message about salvation. And this can be your brilliant moment to give yourself by faith to Christ. And you're thinking, oh, what, well, David, how do I do, do that? How do I articulate that? Okay, I, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, for if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Then four verses south, it says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want to lead you in a salvation prayer with your eyes closed, head bowed, and no need to pray out loud because God's a genius. He can read your mind. Pray something like this. If you want this to be your moment, okay, Jesus, I'm in. <laughs> I'm saying yes. I know you're not surprised. I'm a little surprised. I didn't think this would be my day and my moment, but I recognize it is. So believing, Lord, you always keep your promises. I'm asking you to save me. Come into my heart. I believe you died on that cross to so forgive me of my sin. I believe you arose again and you're alive right now. And because I'm praying this prayer in faith, you are keeping your promise to save and forgive. Thank you. I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.